Hello to all of our lovely listeners. Welcome back to the start of a new academic year. We're hoping you've had a really restful summer break and we're back again with our Why It Works series and we've got Dr. Robert Sharples here today and our very own Joe Thompson. We're focusing our episode today on what you need to do differently to make this year a success. And I think a huge part of it is creating and developing independence in your EAL learners and in your staff to ensure if you're listening as the EAL leads that you don't have to take all of the work on yourself. So welcome back. Hello, Rob and Joe. Would you like to introduce yourselves for anybody that's not been listening last year? Don't know how many people that'll be. Hopefully not many. Um, and introduce yourselves for the beginning of the new academic year. Hi, Joe. You OK? Hi, Helen. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. So I'm Joe Thompson. I'm a primary school teacher and teach trainer. And I am also the EAL content writer for Twinkle. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm a university-based academic. I specialise in uh, bilingual learners and migrant learners, so uh, EL pupils. And uh, I'm here to focus particularly on the evidence behind the things that we're talking about. Thank you to both of you. Um, So we're looking at whether we can foster an independence in our EAL learners at school sort of by developing their organisational thinking and social skills. Joe, what would you say is the starting point for September? for ensuring that happens throughout the academic year? Yeah, so I think September's crucial time to establish your routines and get things set up in your classroom so that all your learners, not just your um, bilingual, multilingual learners, can be successful and can develop their independence. So I would um, suggest thinking about things in terms of the routines that you have in your classroom um what are they how do they work how is everything set up making sure that all the children are clear on what that looks like um similarly with resources and um things that they can access to support them with their learning so for example if you're using um bilingual dictionaries or you've got um some talking pens where are they um how do children access them can they just go over and help themselves when they feel it would be beneficial for them rather than, um, you know, them having to ask or they're being kept in a special a special place? Um, so thinking about your resources, thinking about initially, I suppose, um, survival and buddies and developing those kind of social skills in the initial days if you've got some new starters who are new to new to learning English and just thinking about how are you ensuring that those children especially all children but those children how do they see themselves fitting in to your classroom how do they feel that they belong um in your classroom how are they being seen how are they being heard so making it um really explicit that you're welcoming Uh, welcoming them into your classroom I think that's really important I think that would be my kind of initial you know when you go into September and you're thinking about setting everything up and I think if you can do that in September so that they're familiar with routines and you start developing that independence then that's something that's easier to continue um, throughout the year. Yeah definitely and I mean if you have new arrivals throughout the year you yeah. know that helps as well doesn't it if you've got those buddy systems and they know those routines they can sort of teach the other students we talk about buddy systems a lot don't we i mean it's i'd say coming in in september number one thing to do make sure you've got a buddy system in place um if you haven't i'd recommend looking at the the young interpreter scheme we'll put the link in the show notes it's developed by the hampshire um mtas or ethnic minority and traveler achievement service hampshire council and it, it's it's really good because you don't have to have language pairs. So if you have, for example, 
a Ukrainian-speaking child, you don't need another Ukrainian-speaking child to be their buddy. Your English monolingual children can can buddy up because you're interpreting the school and how it works, not the language itself. So if, you know, first, number, first thing to do, get a buddying scheme up and running. If you're not sure which one, uh, default to the Hampshire Young Interpreter Scheme because it, it's really good. Um, and I think I'd, I'd also recommend trying to walk around a school with fresh eyes at the start of a new year. So the big red flag for me, whenever I go into a school, you'll almost always see a really welcoming reception area. Lots of, you know, examples, children's art probably have the word welcome in 20 languages around the walls. And then you find out where the, the EL support is located. And it's very often, you know, right down the far end of the corridor, across the playground, past the porter cabins, you know, we need to start every year with this really deep commitment to the idea that that those bilingual learners are are just part of the school community. They're everyone's responsibility. An EL specialist, and I guess that means a lot of the people listening to the podcast, it's not your job just to, to teach these children so that your colleagues in, in other classes can, can take over. Everybody is really involved. They're, they're our kids as as people say they're not your kids or my kids they're our kids and I think that's really important so just walking around think, the school thinking right do we see these children in every classroom is their work on the wall is their world shrunk down to just sitting next to one teaching assistant who is basically mediating everything that happens in the classroom for them or is that teaching assistant supporting that child to engage with the rest of the class and you know as you walk around as you look at what's happening you'll see examples of where of where that bilingual child's world has shrunk because of the way we put support in place or where it's really expanded because of the way we put support in place. I think looking for those red flags uh, of where it looks very positive, but in reality, those kids aren't part of the, the life of the school in the same way. And, and I think go to first things to do, get that buddying scheme in place so that you know they're going to really benefit from all the social interaction in the school and, and not be left out. Those would be my, my things you can do before morning break on any given day in September and have a real impact. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and also this with the survival vocabulary, Joe, and sort of the social skills, what other resources have we got on site that could support teachers in creating that buddy system and they, you know, making friends in that first week yeah so we've got loads of we'll put some links um alongside this but there's loads of different um survival vocabulary resources there's lots of all about me resources so you're getting to know the children that you've got in your class I think that's really helpful like Rob said you need to be Mm. understanding who these children are what's important to them what's their setup at home um, so we've got lots of resources like that. We've got lots of friendship resources. We've got lots of conversation kind of support resources. So um, we can link to all of those, all of those in the in the link that goes alongside this. But I think, like Rob said, getting them involved, making sure they have a voice, making sure they feel that they're seen and they're heard and they're able to contribute to the discussions and the displays and every, you know, it, it's so that they're reflected in your classroom just as well as everybody else's I think it's massively important especially when you're starting out in September. Joe you you in one of your many jobs you um you supervise new teachers if if we got ECTs listening and I know we have what would your advice to them be because I think that that's a role where it's because there's not a lot of support for EL in 
initial teacher education, because a lot of schools don't have a really strong EL coordinator, it, when you're coming into the profession, it can often feel a bit, I don't know, bereft sometimes, or, you know, you don't know where to start. What's, what would your advice be for, for new teachers coming in and thinking about how they might start putting, like, really good career-long, year-long stuff into place? What are those first building blocks you go for? I think first thing I'd ask them to do and find out and it's what I recommend to the trainees is go to your school and find out is there a named person in your yeah. school that has responsibility for those EAL learners and sometimes there is and that's great and then that's you've got a really strong starting point then um, within your school is there any local support so some local authorities have an EAL you know department have an EAL team they'll come into your school they've got I know my one locally has got still, which we're hugely fortunate to have, um, a resource lending library that our teachers mm. can go to and borrow from that. So find out what is available to you locally and hopefully you've got someone um, usually on SLT that has kind of oversight and responsibility for your EAL learners. If you haven't, then I think it's kind of um, making sure that you're as best equipped as you as you can be so that you're making then links with um, different places. So I'd suggest um, the Bell Foundation, Naudic, obviously Twinkle. We've got loads of um, resources and support and, you know, podcasts now, um, lots of things. But establish that kind of network of support because it's a very, um, if you're EAL lead, that's quite an isolating job. But even mm. if you're just trying to support your EAL learners and you haven't got that person to go to in your school, I think that can be really difficult. And I can certainly relate to that when I was first starting out. And I felt that I wasn't doing um, a good enough job for some of my um, bilingual children and I kind of made it a bit of a mission to kind of go and read and go and find out and that's kind of how I've fallen into kind of accidentally I guess but I'm super lucky um, to the roles that I that I have now but you've got to sometimes it's not as easy if you haven't got that person in school so try and establish establish those links and if that's not as available locally then reach out to wider kind of larger organisations I think. Hmm. Definitely. We've also got our um, EAL network meetings starting up from September, uh, where we're hoping that will build that community and give people support um, that might be feeling a bit isolated within schools. Um, and there's a huge group, isn't there, on Twitter as well, which people should tap into community-wise and on Facebook, which is which is brilliant. <laughs> well, this we, you know we're recording this in July now, ready for it to go out at, at the start of the year. So. Um... Just for everyone who's joining us in September, Twitter used to be a social media platform where teachers could connect with each other. Uh, <laughs> um, this is, I think this is a really important point. I just want to say something for the record. And I know because we can see each other as we record this. Um, I, I wonder if I'll see much nodding along. But just to be really clear, every school that's got any bilingual children, and even I suppose schools that haven't, needs an EL coordinator. Every multi-academy trust should have a trust-wide lead for EAL. And these should be senior people at trust level really connected to school improvement um, who, who are able to develop deep expertise. And their job should, by and large, be supporting staff across the school and across the trust to teach bilingual learners effectively. Their job should not be, except in particular, I mean, you know, People say, well, if, you, if you're going to have credibility, you have to teach. And I've got no problem with that. So in some cases, it will involve directly teaching 
um, children, particularly those with, with more challenging needs. But it's about making sure the whole school, the whole trust is able to support those needs. So if you come into school, thinking back to, to that ECT scenario, but really for everybody, if you come into a school and there is no named EL coordinator, um, you are absolutely right if you expect there to be one. And lots of schools don't. But I think a lot of people often feel, like I've had said, heads say to me, well, it's basically SEN or Arsenko covers that. All right, now, now, okay. <laughs> I think these two are about to fall off their chair from rolling their eyes. <laughs> so just, we just want to say, you, it doesn't matter how many times you hear it, you are not going mad and you are not in the wrong. So I think people, when you say, Joe, people can feel really isolated, it's probably worth us saying there should be an EL coordinator, it should be a named role. There are some circumstances where it might be better to incorporate it in SEND or the inclusion lead, but I think they're pretty rare. And so there's a whole community out there of people who are really committed and really knowledgeable about supporting these learners. Um, while we've got it, Twitter is a really good one. Um, a minute, but I just wanted to say something. So I, I was looking into this recently and um, Andy Gao, who's an Australian academic, he wrote something a few years ago that, that, really stuck with me and he writes about language learning in schools being a really really complex thing but also recognizing that a lot of the variables are beyond the teacher's control and then it's actually dug out while we're talking he says and yet having been socialized into a professional culture that's long assigned responsibility for learner success to them teachers are eager to find best practices that would assure that success i think what what he's trying to say is that developing children's language proficiency in the curriculum or EAL is really complex and it relies on a whole range of people and a whole range of other things outside your control but we're socialized into feeling that it's an individual responsibility and that just leads to guilt and and well sometimes shame but certainly guilt and feelings of, of not being able to affect it and when you come in there there isn't an EL coordinator or the head says well it's kind of similar to send all that does is reinforce those feelings that we pile it on our own shoulders so I think we should start we should start the year on the barricades yeah. <laughs> start and this might be yeah well you we might be because we're recording in July and we're about to go off on our summer holidays but you know let's just start with that that really strong statement that um it's an organizational responsibility and you can't fix it all by yourself in the very, very limited time you have available. So I think really effective Yale practice, it means starting September confident that, you know, advocating for um, Yale coordinator roles, advocating for other teachers to learn more about bilingualism. These are all firmly in the mainstream of of what we should be expecting and if it gets no traction it gets no traction you know we don't win every battle we fight but there's a lot of people behind you if you want to fight them there we go that's my yeah that's my drop know. from rough. we'll end it there <laughs> go, go, i'll go i'll go and set light to a couple of car tires <laughs> <laughs> we've got the energy today um that's so true though rob really is so true and i think anyone that's been in the school as the yale coordinator maybe starting out that was my lead that came through I was um English and literacy coordinator and I added EAL into my role and like Joe you just get a passion for it and you want to advocate for these children and you want to do your best and it can be isolating at times 
so definitely you are definitely not on your own and we are all behind you and um it is a great place to start in september for you to be ready for the rest of the year and that'll help so many more students and so many more staff if you've got everybody on board definitely um so looking at modeling um behavior joe from um you've said to sort of train the students in sort of going through those routines how might people start doing that from september I think it's just being really explicit and really clear on what your routines um, are going to be in your classroom. What are your expectations in terms of them when they're learning and when they're working? And if we're thinking about um, independence and building independence, and this is for all, you know, this is going to benefit all children and benefit you as a teacher if you can develop their independence so that they can get on with their learning without you there all the time. There's 32 plus sometimes of them there's one of you maybe you've got a teaching assistant if you're lucky maybe you haven't um so you can't be with all of them all of the time and developing that independence is a real um important thing to get i can get them started to think about in september i had a class once um i inherited and it they cut there a lot of the children there would look at me as if to say you know i'd give an instruction and then i'd just get a lot of people um, a lot of them just looking back at me thinking you know I need to go over there and help them with the next step and the next step and the next step and actually I'm expecting them to be more independent than they currently are so how am I going to move those children um, to working more independently and I think there's lots of things you can do and it, it's part of you know good teaching anyway so modeling model everything all of the time and um, we do that as teachers anyway using lots of worked examples and half you know partially completed examples and leaving them up around the classroom so that they can see you know the beginnings of something how you've got somewhere um i think success criteria and checklists are hugely important if you can set out if you're setting out the beginning of your lesson this is what the aim is the objective and this is what we want to achieve and then you've got some steps um, to success that you're sharing with them and you're generating with them and if they're left up around the classroom when they get then stuck and you can't be with them they've got a place to to go to to look to see for them that right okay I've got this I've got that have it on their tables you can do it as a checklist um, but somewhere that they a reference point that they've got then and that comes into um, things like you know your working walls and your displays and your resources and all yeah. the things that you've got in your classroom how are they available to the children so that they can help themselves? So when they get stuck, their um, kind of default isn't "I'll ask a teacher." How can they? How can they help themselves? So um, I know there's resources on Twinkle like um, the Five Bs and things like C Three Before Me. You know, you, you do these. You do these five things before you ask the teacher. Um, some things like you know you look at a book you look at the board you ask a you know you ask a friend you ask a buddy you know all these things that you can put in place for the children um, to become more independent but that all comes from the teacher they're not going to think of yeah. that on their own so you need to kind of set that up in your classroom and I think if you do if you can start those routines and that kind of expectations from the beginning of the year that only can improve um, developing their independence throughout the year yeah, yeah. It, it's it's sometimes hard to imagine if you're new to working with bilingual learners just how overwhelming it is for, for especially for new arrivals so that that budding scheme is important not just because so much their language development will happen 
through play and, and through friends socially but also that you know they, they've got people to help them with with classroom routines I'll, I'll give you an example um this is really old now I was just struck with me I'm sitting in the classroom watching a teacher um um do number lines with some kids and, and he's doing everything that he should be doing so he's got um, he's drawn the number lines on the board. They've they've done some preparatory work so that the kids are kind of in the right place. They know roughly what's going on. And he's using lots and lots of um, images and visuals and actions. So he's talking about number lines, temperature. So it's always oh, minus five today. And he's rubbing his shoulders and showing that it's cold. And then he said, it, and it warms up by 10 degrees. Now, what temperature is it? It was the words warms up. And this boy just didn't didn't know warms up. For, he, actually, he actually knew increase temperature increases but he didn't know warms up I, I wouldn't have predicted necessarily that that warms up would be the bit that got him the teacher trying to use more familiar vocabulary instead of increase but increase is something that had come across in yeah in, in other subjects so he'd had more opportunities to see it and of course by the time he'd worked out what it meant the teacher had moved on and he never really caught up for the rest of the sort of 40 minutes of maths because it's really hard to 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 guess or to predict which bit they're they're going to struggle you've got to have those routines in place as joe says so um things that that are really going to support learners to to keep pace and therefore to come to you less often is those pausing points i mean you know for maths putting stuff on mini whiteboards so you can check understanding but checking comprehension in a way that doesn't depend on language so, so show me or do it um that really works and it's just got to be so much more frequent for early stage bilingual learners at later stages of proficiency so more advanced learners it, that becomes less your focus and you turn to other things um but all those routines that the more the routines like how you check comprehension um how you structure the day, when we go to break, all of these things, that the more routine they become, down to a much like smaller grain, finer grain level than you would normally do, the more um, EL pupils are going to be able to control what happens in their day. And so if they know that you check understanding in a certain way, when they get to that point, they're going to be able to say, oh, I haven't got it. Because they know it comes up, they know they've got to show they understand, and they know they don't. And you're just much more likely to see a hand going up or someone asking a friend. So one thing to think about if you're new to working with bilingual pupils is that routines, checking, all of that, it has to come right down to a much smaller, finer grain level than you would do ordinarily. Um, And that's going to really help to take some of that pressure off you. I yeah, also so think adding on from, sorry, Helen, adding on from what Rob was saying there, it's about the culture of your classroom as well. And you've got to set that culture so that all mm. children and you as the teacher feel comfortable with making mistakes, getting things wrong, asking for help. And I think it's moving away from that, um, you know, you're the teacher, so you're always right. And they've always got, to, I've met so many children that want to get it right all the time. And yeah. they're very upset when they, you know, they, they've not got it right or they frantically you know some children are frantically rubbing things out because they they don't want that mistake in their in their book or or whatever and I think it's making um 
making that culture in your classroom, building that culture so that it's a safe space. Everyone is going to ask for help. Everyone's going to be um, stronger in some areas than others. Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay to ask your friend. It's okay to ask the teacher. You know, it's okay to use the resources. It doesn't mean, um, you know, anything <laughs> other than that you're using what what tools are available to you. And that's that's what we need to teach children to do. But I think that climate takes a little bit of work. I don't think it necessarily just happens for everybody or for all the children. So I think that's a massive part that the teacher plays in setting that up. Um, and modelling again, when you know, when you make a mistake, I remember watching trainee teacher once and um, she couldn't, they'd come up with a really good word and she wasn't sure how to spell it. Um, and then she was panicking because she knew I was um, in her <laughs> lesson and I, just, I really felt for her. Um, but she did exactly what, you know, the right thing to say. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I've had a go, but I'm just going to ask because someone just looked that up in the dictionary for me. And so one of the children looked it up. Yes, no. What, and we moved up. But it was, it was a great, and she was panicking about it yeah. at the end and in our conversation afterwards. Oh, I couldn't spell it. And, I, and it was this massive dip. And I said, no, it's fine. You've modelled exactly what, you what know, the children any should of do. us any of us should do and the children should do and the children have seen you doing that and I think to set that climate in your classroom if you can think of how you do that in September then that will be a massive help as well it's yes. just so important isn't it it's just sorry we've got to let Helen get a word in edge race haven't we <laughs> um yeah I'll just go now guys my summer holidays um yeah it is so important though isn't it and to make make everyone feel like they, they can make mistakes or um you know do things so differently or whatever it's easy they they don't they don't make it public anymore but the the teacher voice survey and its various guises you used to be publicly available um and we you know other surveys taking its place. But what we got is a snapshot of what teachers thought about a range of subjects every year. And one of the questions was aimed at, at early career teachers. And it just asked, what do you feel that your teacher education has not prepared you for or has least well prepared you for? What do you feel unprepared for? Um, of the top three, one was consistently behavior. But I think that's just standing in front of a class full of kids the first time it's, it's something people do worry about and, and i i don't know how you can ever be prepared until you've done it it's fair enough um eal is consistently one of those top three and and very often number one and and you're right you know i i, I do the standard 90 minutes uh, uh my university and and have elsewhere you you get a bad cold you miss your eal prep and and I think that lack of preparation means that when you go into the classroom, we know from you know national data year in, year out, that this is something people really worry about. But we also know from just, you know, being in classrooms and talking to people and, and a bit of common sense, people feel really worried about EAL and teaching bilingual learners, just as you say, Joe, because it's it's really new and you, you feel this pressure to do it right. And because we say it's an individual responsibility and not an organizational responsibility, that just piles the pressure on. And then you show interest in it and you want to get more involved and you listen to one of the outstanding podcasts that's available, for example. Um, and and it can, for some people, I know it really, it really builds up. So you feel like you can never win, but actually you're doing great work you know people are engaged and and doing the best they can and i think i just i just take what you said and and kind of pull it out to sort of zoomed out a little bit that um 
it's not going to be perfect when you're supporting EL learners. If you're if you're fairly even when you're not fairly new to supporting EL learners, you're going to get as much stuff wrong as you get right. That's that's absolutely fine. And yeah, you learn from it, you fix it, you move on. And and that's what you're meant to do. I, we do we do have this. Maybe I'm on a bit of a hobby horse at the minute, um, but we do have this idea of perfection around how things should be. And I'm probably as guilty as anyone of perpetuating it. Um, but actually showing the children, we're learning a few words of the language and, and, you know, coming in in September and just welcoming them in their first language. It's unbelievably powerful. Yeah, those small little baby steps sort of make mm. huge difference to each child, don't they? And make huge progress for them for the rest of the year. Um, when we're looking at sort of... Um, EAL learners sort of independence and creating that. There's also the other side of sort of leading that independence in the rest of your staff, especially if you're EAL lead. Um, how would you recommend, Rob, in the staff sort of having that independence, what sort of things could be in place to ensure it's everyone's responsibility? Am I allowed to plug my EAL book? Yeah, we'll allow you to do that, Rob. Thank you. Right. Well, no, just, I mean, I, I, I wrote down some, there's about sort of, 14 or 15 practical concrete steps that you can do and I, um, I'm happy to go through in more detail if anyone's dropped me an email but but they're they're in the, the book Teaching EAL Evidence-Based Strategies for the Classroom School available from all good bootstops and elsewhere as well um, and I think so that, that's all about just sitting down thinking right do we have any policies what do we need who is responsible for this um, who, who are my best buddies, whether they think of themselves as EAL people or not? And it's just about integrating what you do into the school structure. So I'd, I'd recommend that to take you through a first term or so. Um, I would definitely join Naldic. If you can get your school to sign up for an institutional subscription, great, because then you get three copies of their magazine. So one can hang around on the staff room table. Um, Naldic, they're on regional groups. They, they publish a great magazine. They do an annual conference. Um, but mostly it's a, it's a community. So you, you'll get that online. You'll, you'll get that through through your subject association. Um, you'll get that through through things like this that we try and do to contribute. So first thing I'd do is is be part of that community because otherwise, kind of influencing your colleagues is a lonely job and it's easy to get discouraged and put off. Whereas if you know that there's a lot of people doing the same thing, I think it's much easier. Um, I would say that. This is just coming from where I come from, which is university-based. But I spend a lot of time in schools up and down the country, um, mostly just trying to listen to what what people are saying and how what people are doing. One thing I found to be spectacularly ineffective is to go and tell people what best practice is, because all, all it does is is point out all the things that you think they should be doing, and you know what do you know, and um, and it, you know it might be right, it's, it's robust and it, it's good stuff. I'm sure, but it's not helpful. So I would think, what can you find in your colleagues' work that you can celebrate with them and build on? So it might be that um, a colleague says something really positive or, you know, this learner's making great strides. That's your in. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you noticed that. And you can just start that conversation. As people feel more confident and feel that, that working with EL pupils is something they can be really good at, then you can start building up in those, those strategies and techniques. And, and you, I mean, Joe, you know that, you know what we call this basic toolkit that you might use, you know, 
around sentence structures, key visuals, graphic organizers. You know, you've produced a lot of them for Twinkle um, as well. I'd kind of go in with with starting by just building that connection, that rapport with your colleague, but also at the other side, making sure you're connected to your own community and then looking at, at maybe sharing some of those those core things people can be doing and integrating into their day-to-day work and building up from there. I think too often, and I know I've definitely been guilty of this, we start from the top of where we want to get to and people can't feel any connection to that. So starting from where people are now and building on even those faintest glimmers of, of engagement, people, <laughs> this is what I try and tell <laughs> this is okay so this is a lesson that i learned from a head teacher in leeds um who was i haven't seen her for 10 years but it was absolutely fantastic and she had eight rules for their primary school because she came from non-teaching background retrained and just saw it in a fresh way and one of her rules was we make our problems smaller not bigger and every time i watch prime minister's questions i'm like well can we have that plastered up there you know um and, and kind of building on that, do we, this is, I mean, this is why I try and say with my own kids to limited success. Are we making each other feel bigger or smaller? Because I think a, a lot of what we say is too abstract. So let's take it into the staff room. Um, are we making these problems bigger or smaller? Are we making each other feel bigger? And I think my starting point, I know this is the evidence-based Why It Works podcast, and normally I'd be talking about all kinds of research studies, but I'd say start of the year, September, are we making each other feel bigger? Are we building that kind of shared confidence and enjoyment of working with these fantastic bilingual pupils? If they are, tune in next half term, and I'm sure we'll have lots more <laughs> great stuff for you to do. But from there, I think you build on the basic toolkit, and the, the person I go to for that is is definitely Joe. That's uh, an amazing motto. That for the rest of I'm going to be teaching that to my three year old. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. And I think if you go it, go in and see what's happening in yeah. your in your classrooms. And go in with that positivity. And it's not, and I know teachers have got, you know, oh, there's a learning walk, oh, there's this, oh, there's that. You know, it's that kind of, no, go in with, I want to come and see what you're doing really well because I've heard that X, Y, and Z is working really well. And I want to see how we can, you know, pull that all yes. together as a school. And if you can, if you can do that and you're bringing everyone with you, like Rob says, you're starting from where everybody's at, which is exactly what you do with the children. That's good teaching. So you start where everybody is and then you build from that. But if it can come from what is already going on internally, then that is so, um, I guess everyone can feel a, a connection to that, like Rob said. Hmm. And then you're not aiming for something that's so ridiculously, you know, out there that it's quite abstract. So I think it's so important to go in and see what's happening, talk to the children, what works well for them, what is effective, what is um, not effective. It's really refreshing. I've had lots of conversations with children about, you know, what do I do that helps you? What does the school do that helps you with your learning, uh, learning English, learning different languages? And just ask them. They're so honest. They've got no filter. They'll completely (laughs) tell you, you know, what what you've done well and what, and it makes you, it opens your eyes into a, because you've got your opinion as the, as the teacher or as a leader um but you yeah go and ask go and ask the children as well as asking your staff because they they'll tell you yeah. um it's very enlightening i have to yeah, student <laughs> voice can be very brutal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but great great though because you see it in a different you know you yeah. see it in a way that you'd never thought of it and then it it takes you back to okay so this is what they're thinking this is what they're feeling mm. now i can you know this is something i haven't even thought about but now they've brought it to our attention we can do something about it so 
yeah, I think that's... And then that's they really see important. that full circle as well, don't they? Of, you know, you've taken their advice on board and that's brilliant as well, isn't it? You're asking them. Involved. Yeah, you're asking them. You're listening to them. They've got a voice. You could, they can see that you're active. You know, it all yeah. just... It's about... community. School's a massive community and it's yeah. about pulling everybody together in the same direction. There's lots of different ways you can do that. And you're, you're going to get there quicker that way as well. I, yeah. I, I, I recognise, especially... Cause we, we have a lot of listeners in... Well, actually, these days we've got quite a lot of listeners, which is really nice. Yeah. But a lot of listeners in leadership roles, and that's tricky because learning walks are such a brilliant idea that should be in every like industry in 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 society, but are still seen. You know, it, it's it's the most engaged, low pressure, open way of of evaluating practice in in the school, but yet they're still seen as you know audit and control and and I think that's if you're a leader who is genuinely engaged and, and open and wants to just see what's happening and learn from it that's really tough because you sort of can't win you go in with your with your arms open and people are like, oh, I don't want to see that learning what's happening and learning what becomes synonymous basically with Ofsted inspection <laughs> it's that's really hard I think I think so, sorry one way that I think you can make it less like that is if you make it more of a peer on peer exercise rather than a leadership kind of accountability kind of exercise and some of the best feedback that I've ever had teaching came from I suppose it was a learning but it was from a fellow colleague teacher it wasn't from leadership it wasn't for my performance management it wasn't for any you know it wasn't Ofsted it wasn't really big high stakes it was just you know what we're going to buddy you up with a different teacher in your school you're going to go into their lessons they're going to come into your lessons and they're going to tell you what you're doing great and you're going to tell them what you're doing they're doing great and then you take all those ideas back with you and the school was so much richer for it yeah um so so one thing you might say as a leader then is um I don't want to know any details I just want to know one thing you learn from each other yeah. So you, you you probably do want to hear what comes out of that, but you 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 do in a way that you only want to hear the positives, and that gives space for for people to talk honestly about the about the negatives as well. Um, that the evidence on instructional coaching is really interesting, um, and maybe edgy Twitter is like a bad window into the world. Um, the kind of the controversialness about it, I guess, obviously that 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 you can break teaching down into steps to learn, but but that's not the sum of it. And I don't I don't think that's actually complicated. I mean, maybe maybe I'm in a different place, but learn the steps doesn't mean that's all there is to being a great teacher. With the AL, there's actually a lot of stuff that is concrete and learnable like good strategies for checking comprehension are really important they don't define your your full professional capabilities but they're really worth learning and i think for el especially how you explicitly teach language in the context of a mainstream classroom um, and maybe maybe we need to have a think about about doing some more on this um in 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 the coming year that's that's really learnable and that's something that's as you say joe best taught from peers so we might think about um if you've got good eal people even if even if you don't feel that as as the the teacher or teaching assistant you maybe don't feel that you know everything 
who does. Or as a leader, you don't feel that this person is absolutely ready to, to take huge responsibilities. Actually, peer coaching of what I've learned so far and what we're learning together can be really effective. And it, it's actually a great way for people to develop that expertise. I probably, for most people listening to the podcast, I mean, this is probably really obvious, so I won't, I won't labour the point. The thing is that for EAL, possibly more than for other areas, because we don't train teachers on how to explicitly teach language in the context of the curriculum, which means not having language lessons, but to integrate it seamlessly, those are techniques and strategies that you can learn that will just that will make you much more effective. That that doesn't obviously. I'm, I'm not saying that break it down and you could build a robot teacher, um, but it it's really worth investing in if you've if you've got a little bit of time or budget or you want to really build someone up as as a specialist. That's a great place to start. Yes, definitely. I think when we used to do learning works, we used to do it with peers and then leave post-it notes just with two good things and just stick it on the desk and you did feel a lot better for it and like you say the positivity just works wonders doesn't it rather than focusing on the negativity all the time especially in September when you're sort of trying to get on a roll to getting started so just to finish um we decided to focus on what do I need to do differently to make this year a success so if you both give me two top tips before we finish so Joe two top things for making this year a success I think routines establish your routines and teach the children what that looks like in the classroom with independence but also with everything else um, that you want to think about and then thinking about how you can help them to become more independent so think about the types of activities that you're asking them um, to do um, but also think about how you're expecting them to reach a certain point. So think about your modelling, think about your examples, think about checklists, think about success criteria, market stations, the processes they go through when they get stuck, that it's okay to ask for help. All of that, I think, um, if you can get that all into your classroom September, October, you're setting yourself up for a, for a great year. Amazing. Mm. Thanks, Joe. Rob, what are your last two top ten? Well, I suppose I should say like and subscribe, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, so I'll stay away from classroom practice because I, I think Joe, you said it, you said it really brilliantly. I'll th- maybe give two things you could do at school level or trust level. Um, uh, the first one is just to work out who's who. So who is responsible for EAL and who is leading on EAL? Because that can be um, that can be something that's not in the the. Kind of formal roles it could be just someone who is really good at it or it could be that the person responsible for it has just been given this role and you know you come across i can think of several people in this position someone who's got 90 minutes every two weeks is, is their allocation for their, their el coordinator role that's obviously not enough so who is actually the person to go to and you could do this whether, whether you are uh, ECT coming to school, uh, TA, senior leader, everyone in between. Who's the person who is the go-to for EL? Could be a former role, could not be. I don't know. So once you've got them, you know who you can talk to. Um, and that's, that's I think, is really important. And the second one, I'd say, um, get a really good grip on who your learners are. So most people I talk to can tell me, oh, yes, the, the, our IEL pupils come from this background and this is what their proficiency is and so on. Um, 
most people can do that for their class. If you can do it for your school, that's even better. But then the follow on from that is what is going to change about our EL provision as a result? Because everywhere I go, people say we've got oh, this type of learner and this type of learner. So we've got these pupils from here, these pupils from there. OK, so what's your EL provision? And the answer is always this is the thing that we do. And so you tend to have lots of learner groups with different types of needs, but then one type of EL provision, which has to flex to accommodate them. And that is really stressful. Um, so what I'd, I'd say is, first of all, identify the key person to talk to and then think about, actually, do we need to have a menu, a range of different types of EL support so that we are in a really good position to meet people's needs and we can start articulating what we do and building up what we do so that it gets traction from from senior leadership so that it's heard across the school and what you end up is, is what we've been talking about <laughs> i'm now fast forwarding through quite a lot of really hard work but you end up in a position where everyone in the school can talk knowledgeably about how you support bilingual children even if they don't know how to do it necessarily themselves they don't see it as part of their role it's something we do and not something you do what I do or they do and that that I think is if you can start that in September it's going to really equip you for success yeah that's definitely huge and if you're thinking about this from September and you're looking at that goal for the summer term and um, we've also got other white works podcasts where we talk through um talk you through the oh, whole year um yeah which is brilliant like I'm gonna write that as a quote Rob Rob Sharple says podcasts <laughs> are brilliant um, but yeah, they are. They are really easy. Only half an hour. Listen to them anywhere, and it takes you through that whole year in the bath. <laughs> we're definitely, we're definitely ready for our summer holidays. Only half an hour, she says, as the the clock ticks up to forty five minutes. Thank you for listening to Talking Their Language with Helen Bodell. You can find all of the resources we've talked about at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter by searching Twinkle EAL. We've also now got our own CPD sessions, which are all available on Eventbrite. If you search Twinkle EAL collection, you'll find them all there. You can also book free tickets and share them with the rest of your community.